So this morning, we're continuing a series called Really Anxious, Real Peace. And, and it is true that many of us are really anxious these days, and it is equally true, or in fact, even more true, that in Christ we have real peace. But it is often hard for us to, to really, in our lives, connect our anxiety to God's peace. And so what we are trying to do in these few weeks is to really help us bring our lives in all of the in all of the anxiety the depression the grief whatever type of mental or spiritual suffering you're experiencing to truly bring those to christ and to find god's peace and even maybe to find the joy of the lord is in fact our strength so as we as we reflect on this this morning and as we do these next few weeks i have a couple goals and these don't map exactly onto the sermon or anything but but i would like us to do more to acknowledge our anxiety. In the American suburbs, in, in more wealthy areas, stereotypically we deal with things by covering over them, by denying that they're there, and, and that is not healthy. There is real health in us acknowledging that we are anxious and troubled people. And we can't just acknowledge that or we're just stuck at a different place, but, but part of what we're doing is trying to develop resources so that we can endure so that we are not overwhelmed and carried away, so that the waves don't wash us away, so that the fire doesn't burn us up, but so that we can, in Christ, endure our troubles. And then, and this is, this is entering into a brave space, we can even see how the Lord helps us to grow through our anxiety. So acknowledge, endure, and grow through our troubles. With all that in mind, let's turn to Genesis 32. A couple weeks ago, we opened this series with the first part of Genesis 32, and we're going to continue with verse 22. In the first part of this chapter, we see Jacob, and Jacob has, has wrestled all his life. He's done all these things. He's caused himself all kinds of trouble, but he's also gained all kinds of wealth. And then there comes this point when he's coming back home after being away for a number of years and, and developing a huge family and amassing a huge fortune. But then he hears at the beginning of Genesis 32 that his brother Esau, who this, this twisty guy Jacob has, has systematically troubled over the course of his life, Esau is coming with 400 armed men, and Jacob assumes that Esau is coming to finally get his revenge to kill him. So Jacob runs around and does all these different things and has all these different schemes going, and then as we saw a couple weeks ago, it all ends with Jacob by himself on a dark night. And let's pick the story up now in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till, day till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, then the man said your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. 
The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to walk through this text today and the sermon today with three names, with Jacob, with Israel, and with Peniel. And we'll start with, with Jacob, who was grasping after everything. So in preparation for this sermon series, I did a fair amount of reading, listening to podcasts and different things, and one of the people I, I listened to a bit was Dr. Lee Warren, who's a neurosurgeon, he's a, he's a Christian guy, and he's doing more and more work with trauma recovery, how to deal with anxiety. And he brought up a situation to reflect on. I want you to reflect on this a minute with me today. So let's say you go home, and you drive up to your garage, and if you don't have a garage for the purpose of this exercise, I have just given you a garage, okay? Nice garage, double, triple stall, whatever you like, automatic garage door opener, it's all good. The opener's in your car, you're set. So you pull up to the garage, you push the door, you push the button to open it, and the door opens, and inside the garage, there's a grizzly bear. A big, grumpy, dark, huge grizzly bear. What do you do in that moment? What do you do? Well, Dr. Warren works, uh, works on what you might do in that situation. And it's all an entryway to think about how we deal with anxiety. And, and one way, and he works this out with different levels of the brain, different types of brain. Don't take this too literally, but it's, it's a helpful analog. Well, you might respond with reptile brain, with lizard brain. And if you've ever come across a lizard, their default reaction is this. They freeze. And so what you might do when you encounter that bear in the garage is you might just freeze and think, maybe he won't notice me if I just sit here in the several thousand pound vehicle I've just driven up to the garage. Freezing is often not a helpful thing, but when we face really huge troubles, that is one of our, one of our anxiety responses. We simply stop. We can't do anything. There's another level of response that, that you might call the mammal brain or, or people often call it the horse brain. It's the fight or flight thing. There's a bear in the garage, put the car in drive and I'm gonna run it over. I'll show it to be in my garage. Or put the car in reverse and I'm getting out of here. This is too much, I am out. Fight or flight. And often when we experience anxiety or other types of mental suffering, we, we kind of function at that horse level brain that we're either gonna bolt or we're gonna kick. We're gonna fight or we're gonna run away. And those are both those are both kind of what you might call emotional brain, or at least that's what people tend to call it in the literature. But then there's another level, a higher level that you can go to that's called the rational brain. And here you're able to get past some of the freeze and the fight or flight and actually process your options, recognize the complexity, and, and come up with a plan. So you might, instead of freezing in front of that bear or running away or running it over, you might look at it and say, maybe turn on your headlights and say, oh, that actually isn't a grizzly bear. It's my grill with a cover over it. Now, you'd have to ask them what other troubles you have, because if you think a grill is a grizzly bear, you probably have something else going on in your life. But sometimes, even when we're anxious, we can function at that point where we can look at the things, we can employ some coping mechanisms, we can make it work, and we can get through it. So emotional brain, lizard, horse, rational brain, more, more reflective. But sometimes in our lives none of those levels are really the right level to be working on. And that's, that's where a lot of people in the world of trauma and anxiety studies stop. 
But as Christians, we have another level of resource available. And I thought of a lot of different things we could call this, but we're just going to call it spiritual brain. That what we need is not to freeze or to fight or flight or, or even to manage, but what we need is to come to grips with the Lord and depend on Him. And you know, often if we're stuck at one of those other levels, we can't, like we physiologically, physically cannot get to the next level until something has been resolved. But it also works the other way, that, that when we're in a healthier place, we can work to heal the lower levels of our functioning through, through higher level interventions. And what we all need in different ways in our lives is for the Lord to come and to intervene because we are spending far too much time and energy stuck at different levels of coping. And a lot of Jacob's life, and it would be interesting if, if you have some time this afternoon to, to read through the whole story of Jacob in Genesis and see how he's functioning in different ways at different points, but but he is almost never, throughout the story up to this point, actually functioning in a healthy way. It seems like there are times when Jacob just kind of stops and hopes he doesn't get hurt. And a lot of what Jacob does is fight or flight, that he has all these, all these times where he either, well, he mostly runs away. He's more a flight guy, that he keeps running away from his brother who he's angered and who wants to kill him. He runs away from his uncle who he's angered and he wants to cause him all kind of trouble. He runs and runs and runs. And then when Jacob is at his best often in this story of his life to this point, He's still a schemer. He's still grabbing and grasping after everything. He, when he gets to his best level, then he's making tricky plans to, to put one over on other people, to, to manipulate the world so that he gets what he wants. And we see that even in Genesis 32, that when Jacob hears that his brother is going to come, and, and he presumes right away, Esau's coming to kill me because of all the bad things I did to him, so let's break up the camp into different groups, and let's send, gifts to, let's send gifts to my brother, and let's put the people over here, and the animals over there, and let's approach him in all kinds of different groups, and I'll be at the very end, so even if everybody else gets wiped out, I can run away. And that is Jacob at his very best. Jacob is always grasping after everything, and that's what the name Jacob means. It's, it's somebody who's grabbing and grasping and always trying to do something different. And yet for the whole story up to this point, he is not really getting to grips with the Lord and not really getting to grips with the highest level of, of who he is as a human being. And we see in this story where he's afraid of Esau that he sends everyone else away, and then this stranger comes and grabs hold of him and wrestles and wrestles, and Jacob keeps on grabbing and wrestling and, and trying to win yet again. And I want to propose to you, to us, that, that all of us so often in life are stuck at one of those lower levels. So often we are grabbing and grasping after everything, and we are not actually getting what we want, and we are not actually the type of people God calls us to be. Maybe a significant relationship in your life, let's say your marriage is, is really in a rough spot and you just don't know what to do and so you freeze. And you each watch TV all night in separate rooms and you just feel like there's, there's no hope. And it bothers you, but you can't do anything. Or maybe you've got a really tough situation at work. There's that, that guy who just, oh, bothers you. And so you spend your showers thinking about all the things you're going to say to put him in his place. But at work, you always dodge around the corner whenever he comes, just so you don't have to deal with him. Or maybe you're, 
Maybe you're applying for college and you've got all these options and all these plans and you have 27 different applications you're filling out and and you know if option A comes together, part three, section three, then you'll do this. But if that doesn't work out, then option seven looks pretty good and you've got all these different plans and all these things going on, but, but yet you're still anxious and worried and afraid about what the future is going to look like and if you're making the right choice and if your career is going to work out and if you're going to find the right relationship and and in the midst of all your plans you still feel that gnawing sense of emptiness and in all of those places we need to move we need to move to a higher level of functioning we need some help to break out of our patterns and and to get to who we actually should be but moving is really hard You see, any type of change that you make in your life, especially for the better, comes with a lot of pain. Growth is painful. But the thing is that our status quo is painful too. It's just that so often we're used to the pain of where we are. And so if we've gotten used to just freezing and giving up, it hurts, it wrecks us, but at least it's familiar. And if we're always functioning on that level of fight or flight, well, yeah, it's not any fun, but at least we know what to do. And maybe we've gotten really good at fighting or running away. And you know, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, all of this, pa, that's for the weak people. I'm strong, I'm good, I'm not anxious about anything. I've got my life set up just right. Well, for one thing, I wonder if you're in denial, but for another, I would say, are you really really living the kind of life you want to live if you're self-sufficient, you've got all your schemes lined up and everything is the way you want it? Is that really the deepest, highest, best kind of life? I don't think it is. But by ourselves, we usually can't get to that next level. We can't, we can't get beyond where we are. And so we need something more. And what we see in Jacob's story, what, what I hope you see in your life today, is that the Lord comes to us and we end up wrestling with God. That figure who comes, that mysterious figure who wrestles with Jacob all night long, it's a representative of the Lord. And people, scholars debate, is it, is it an angelic messenger? I think the best answer is actually that this is to use the technical term, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. That in some sense, Jesus is coming to Jacob here and grabbing hold of him to finally, finally, finally get Jacob to where the Lord wants him to be. And some people read this story and they say, look at how Jacob wrestled with God and and he finally overcame God and, and that's what you need to do. You need to go out and you need to beat on God until you get what you want. But, but I think that's entirely backwards. What we should not picture here is Jacob going up to God and pounding on the door of heaven and getting what he wants. What we should picture is Jacob actually trying to get away from God. You see, if someone comes up to you and they punch you in the nose, you can punch back or you can run away. But if someone comes up and grabs you and starts wrestling with you, you have to wrestle back even if all you want to do is get away. And I think the picture we should have here of Jacob is that Jacob is trying to get away from God. He is pushing and shoving and wrestling and he just wants to get away. And what What the Lord is doing is he is trying to just get hold of Jacob and say, look, buddy, I love you. I care for you. I have what you need if you will only hold still for a minute and receive it. And so they wrestle hour after hour after hour. And what we should picture is is the Lord just trying to hold Jacob in place. Just trying to convince Jacob, I don't want to harm you. I want to bless you. He is not being malicious. He is being merciful. And yet Jacob battles and battles and battles because Jacob is scared. 
Because Jacob has spent his whole life running away from everybody and and trying to get a blessing from his father and trying to get a blessing from God, but doing it in all the wrong ways and never getting there and so being, being stuck in these terrible ways of living that cause him great trouble and anxiety and cause all kinds of trouble for his family and And it just goes on and on and on. And after a whole night of wrestling, Jacob won't admit defeat. He will not be overcome. And so what does the Lord do? The Lord at this point could walk away. The Lord could incinerate Jacob where he stands. The Lord could do anything. And what does he do? He goes, pop! And Jacob's leg goes, pop! And now he can't even stand up by himself. And what's the, what's the message here? And what does, what does Jacob, what has Jacob intended to get out of this? Imagine if you'd been wrestling with somebody, and let's not even do, let's not even do all night. You've been wrestling with someone for just a few minutes, and you feel like it's equal, and then all of a sudden, they throw you to the ground with one arm. And you realize they've been holding back the whole time. My brother wrestled in high school, and one of the people he wrestled with was, was a state champion a couple times, one of the bigger weight classes, maybe 210-pound guy. And he started doing this thing his senior year until the coach made him stop, that he would go up against newbies, and he would kind of alligator arm, ah! and he'd keep track of the score, and he'd keep just always within striking range, and he'd give him hope through the mo- most of the match. And then when there was about a minute left, All of a sudden, he would just pick him up, throw him down, and pin him. Five seconds. Done. And the crowd was getting real excited because they thought they were going to see an upset. And and then all of a sudden, they're like, well, it's over. The coach made him stop because it was mean. And he was a little worried about his math skills and thought he might not get the math right some match and lose. So he was a wrestler. But picture picture Jacob in that moment when he thinks he might win and he thinks he's doing okay and he's been fighting all night and now all of a sudden with one little tap he's totally undone and now there is nothing he can do except cling to his opponent because if he lets go he's gonna fall over and this is finally the point that that the Lord needs Jacob to be at so the Lord can give Jacob the blessing he has been trying to give him his whole life And in in the ancient world, names were much more significant than we consider them these days. In the ancient world, your name was, was not just what you were called, but it defined your identity. And so what the Lord does here is he changes Jacob's name. Jacob has been a grabber, a grasper, a flailer, someone always scheming. And now the Lord says, you are one who wrestles with God. You are one who struggles with God and overcomes. And you know, it's not really that Jacob overcame the Lord, that he beat God, but that, but that Jacob was finally brought to a point where he recognized what God had always been providing for him. In his losing, he finally wins. And when he, when he finds that he's at the end of himself, that he can't fight anymore, he finds that what's waiting there is, is a transformation is the thing he's really been searching for his whole life and never been able to find. And so he becomes, instead of flailing, rest, flailing Jacob, he becomes Israel, who has finally gotten to grips with the Lord. So I want to ask you today, 
Are you running after other things? Are you flailing and scheming? Or are you letting the Lord get to grips with you? And it may even be the case that it is precisely in what you might consider your worst moments that the Lord is working. Rhett Smith wrote a book a a couple years ago called The Anxious Christian. The Anxious Christian. And in that book, Smith shares the story of how, as a young child, his mother passed away. And his father didn't process that real well. The whole extended family was kind of destroyed by it. And and Smith, for his whole life, wrestled with tremendous, debilitating anxiety. He was always scared his, the next loved one would pass away, the next disaster would happen, and he found it completely paralyzing at times. And it drove him to, to be always trying to escape, to make sure he had options, or, or to do battle if he felt threatened. And then a time came when Smith finally realized that that in ways he would never have predicted, it was exactly in his most anxious moments that God was speaking the most powerfully to him. It was in the moments when he felt like he could not get up out of his chair. It was in the moments when all he wanted to do was run away or run away or strike out that, that he recognized the Lord was there and was working with him. And what the Lord was doing when he finally, and part of it was therapy and medicine and all of those things, but but he finally recognized that what the Lord was trying to do was to bring him through, through that wounding, through that trauma, through that anxiety to a place where he could grow, to a place where he could find God's peace and ultimately to a place where he could communicate that peace to other people. Maybe the Lord is coming to you in your most anxious moments. And by the way, this should be hope-inducing, not guilt-inducing. This is not, well, when you feel really bad, make sure you look to the Lord. This is, when you feel really bad, God is there. God is there. And maybe the Lord for your whole life has been trying to get your attention and, and trying to finally get you to hold still long enough to recognize that, that yes, He loves you. And yes, he cares for you. And yes, you are his child. Maybe what you need, maybe what you need is the meds and the doctors and the therapy and the community support and all of those things. And those are all important and real and ways that God provides for us. But maybe in the midst of all that, what you need is for the Lord to come and, and to help you function on that spiritual level. Maybe that is the level of healing and care that you need so that you can move past that reptile brain or that mammal brain or even that rational brain and truly find the the depths and the heights of human experience that God has made all of us for. We all kind of keep functioning at the same level. We're all kind of stuck. And you may be stuck at a really debilitated point or at a relatively healthy point, but, but by ourselves, we're all kind of stuck and we resist growing into the great, remarkable images of God that God has made us to be. And one thing that our brokenness, that our anxiety, that our depression, that our grief, one thing, not the whole thing, but one thing might be that the Lord is coming to us and in inviting us to step into a new identity, to receive a new name and to look on the face of God. And so we come to, to Peniel and to seeing the face of God. So in verse 26, the, the stranger says, let me go because it's daybreak. And the implication there as we work through this text is that, 
is that Jacob can't see this man's face or he will be destroyed. But Jacob asks for a blessing, and, and then when he's given for a blessing, he asks, what's your name? Tell me your name. And the stranger says, and you could give this a lot of different tones of voice, why do you ask my name? And I think it's being asked, I think the stranger responds almost in a joking way there. Why do you ask my name? Not because you can't know it, but because you already know it. You know that I am the Lord. And so Jacob calls that place Peniel because he saw the face of God and yet he lived. And what should have happened there, what should have happened there when the sun rose was that Jacob should have been burned to a crisp. Jacob should have been destroyed because one of the, one of the core realities of the Lord is that he is a burning fire and that you cannot, you cannot approach such power without consequence. And yet here, and this is why we think this is the pre-incarnate Christ, here Jacob is able to wrestle with the Lord. Here Jacob is even able in some sense to see the face of God and he is not consumed because what he sees is the face of Jesus. And Jesus comes to us showing the grace, grace and compassion of God, showing the, the kindness and gentleness of the Lord for us. And so I hope today as we reflect on this text that, that you do not hear condemnation, that you do not hear a call to be more like or this or that, but what you hear is that Jesus, Jesus has come and has grabbed hold of you today. And his message is one of hope and love, that he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. There is real hope for us. So Dr. Warren, in, in some of his work with trauma and anxiety, he talks about, he's a brain surgeon, so he talks about brain stuff a lot. But one of the things he talks about is that we used to think that our brains were hardwired, that you were born with all the neurons you're going to get. But the last 20 years or so, we've actually found that we, we constantly remake our brains. And so he talks about neurogenesis, the making of brain cells, and neuroplasticity, the, the reshaping of how our minds work. We do simply on a rational level have ways that we can rewire our brains. The Lord has built us with ways that we can work through things and grow. But there is, there is still this reality that when we function on our own, that there is a very hard ceiling with how high we can go. But the Lord breaks that ceiling open and he takes us, as he takes us into his presence, into places that we could never go on our own. The Lord intends to make us into his people, into his image. And, and if you think of the Lord here as Jacob does, as someone who is so burningly powerful and holy and incredible that you can't even stand in their presence, someday the Lord intends to make all of us into those kinds of people. We do not recognize the glory that the Lord has shared with us as his people. But that is where the Lord is working to bring us. And so I want to give you an invitation today wherever you are on this spectrum. If you feel like you are frozen, if you feel helpless, if you feel like there is genuinely nothing you can do, and, and maybe you're even live streaming because you just couldn't handle getting out of bed and looking people in the face this morning, even in that moment, God is there. Even in that very moment, Jesus is by your side, walking with you and caring for you. And so... So do all the meds, do all the lifestyle stuff, do all that, but, but most of all, turn to the Lord and see how he is at work 
in you and for you. And I suspect more of us are at that fight and flight place where, where we're reactive and we're always just coming up with whatever comes up and it's always boiling out and we're, we're fighting or we're running and, and we're Jacob's. We're always grabbing and grasping and, and maybe today the Lord is grabbing hold of you and saying, slow down, slow down. In Christ, you are forever safe. In Christ, you do have forever peace. And so, so you don't need to run away and you don't need to punch it out, but you can find true hope in the Lord. And maybe you're at a point today and it's wonderful if you are, where you feel like you've got your life under control, where you feel like all the plans are working out and everything's good and you're managing well. Well, I want to ask you then, is that really true or are you just covering over some other issues? But even if it is true, I want to invite you to see that, that what God has for us is always more than what we have for ourselves. And if we stop at just organizing our life how we want, we become, well, we become Pharisees or we, we build our lives into these nice but really ultimately empty things. And so even if your life is in a good place, then I want to invite you to, to take the roof off and to see how much more the Lord has for you. Because what the Lord has for all of us, just like he did for Jacob, is that we get to see his face. We get to live at every level of our being, the physical, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, at every level of our being, God intends for us to be suffused, to be filled with his glory. That is the message of Jesus come to us, that he comes with grace and peace to make us more and more like the Lord himself. And so you are invited today, wherever you are, wherever you are, to see the face of God and to see how God is bringing you, even you, closer and closer to him. Let's pray. Father, all of us are stuck. And we're stuck in different ways and with all kinds of qualifications and exceptions and, and all kinds of things, but all of us are stuck. And Lord, we pray that you get us unstuck. We pray that you move us out of our fear, out of our battles, out of our self-sufficiency and move us closer and closer to you. Lord, we are grateful that that even when we run away from you, even when we develop our own schemes, even when we feel helpless and afraid, that you come to us. Lord, we are grateful that through Jesus, through your word, you have shown us who you are and revealed the reality of your care and compassion for us. Lord, help that not to be just ideas and talk today, but, but through your word and your spirit, bring those realities to abundant life within us, we pray. And we plead in the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen.